0: Hello, my dear listeners. Before we get into this episode, I want to take a moment to thank you. Thank you for listening. KPCC is people powered public radio and podcasts. And that means donations, donations from you make projects like Repeat possible. Put your money where your ears are and pitch in five bucks or more to help keep investigative reporting going. A Repeat listener from Germany gave $12, which might sound like an odd amount, but I did some investigating and turns out That is 10 euro. You can chip in, too, at kpcc.org slash repeat. There's a button there to give, and thank you. And now the part you're all so familiar with. This is our sixth episode, and as far as we know, our final episode of Repeat. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, I suggest you go back now and get caught up. And I promise I'll be here when you're ready for part six. And a warning, this episode does contain descriptions of violence, and offensive language.
1: I couldn't even
0: hear anything. I was asleep. <laughs> okay, so I think we could, um, just, you want to do it right here? Um,
2: however you want. I mean, just don't interrupt, Papa, because they're going to do an interview. Yeah, because they're going to want to say something every, every few seconds. They're more of a,
0: They're they're like a stage, huh?
2: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Alberto Telles is the father of three. He's in his 30s, looks the part too. Wireframe glasses, hair buzz so closely that you barely notice it's thinning. He could be a dad plucked out of anywhere in America, except for his tattoos. On one arm, Los Angeles. On the other, South Central.
2: Uh, You know, I'm, I'm Latino, I'm Mexican, I'm tatted down, you know, automatically... I'm already guilty of doing something when I'm not doing nothing wrong, you know.
0: He says law enforcement notices how he looks. He feels watched by officers, like they're waiting for him to step out of line.
2: You know, this is actually the reality we all live in. You know, we're, as a minority, blacks and Latinos, we get, hassled, we get harassed more than anybody else.
0: Tell us holds a common view within communities of color that they are more heavily policed than white neighborhoods. And tell us he has committed crimes when he was younger, in his early 20s. He's been convicted of receiving stolen property and grand theft auto. I'm a car guy, he told me. But it wasn't the stolen car that he wanted to sell. It was the sound system. He told me he could make $600 off those. He said he left it behind when he started a family. He told me he needs to stay out of jail so he can drive his kids to school. But he said being watched by law enforcement, it's still a reality. Stop, citation, arrest. Then it occurred to him if officers were gonna watch him, he could watch right back.
3: Hold on, I'm, I'm not no. I'm
0: not he took out his phone and started recording. He made videos of encounters with officers.
2: Relax, your hands relax. relax.
0: Dude, you need to relax. The car. You need to relax. You- Tell us has a YouTube channel where he posts these videos of law enforcement. He also posts videos of street racing because, you know, he's a car guy.
2: You guys shouldn't be showing those lights to people's eyes while driving. No, you shouldn't.
0: What do you do? You could cause me to crash. This footage is shot on a street in South L.A., in Willowbrook, the neighborhood wedged between Watts and Compton, a short drive from where Deputy Gonzalo Nzunza shot Tennell Billups. Tellis told me before he started filming, he and his family were coming back from Walmart. It was well after midnight, 2016. A Los Angeles County Sheriff's patrol car was on the road.
2: And uh, as we got closer, he was still in the middle of the, the road. And when my window passed his window, he directly shines a flashlight directly into my eyes. And I have glasses, which caused me to see bright flashlights.
0: He said it blinded him for a moment.
2: Every time I record them, they complain about a little flashlight on a cell phone. they oh all, I can't see you, you're you're blinding me. But yet it's okay for them to put their flashlight and their spotlight into a driver's, close to a driver's face.
0: Tellus could have driven his Hyundai SUV away. Deputies could have pulled him over if they had reason to. But they did not. There's nothing to keep him from going home and taking his sleeping kids out of the back seat and putting them to bed. But Telus is not the type to let it go when he feels disrespected. So he turned his car around, got out, and confronted deputies.
2: It's not just because uh, I wanted to confront them, but it's just too much that they're just running wild around here.
0: Telus took out his phone and started recording.
2: Okay, relax, relax. I have you relax. recording. Know, relax, relax, no, relax, relax. Relax, relax, no. relax. You relax, can relax, you put relax, your relax, hands up. No. Relax.
0: The video's blurry, blue and red patrol lights obscuring the scene. At first, Telus is filming, then his girlfriend. You see a deputy pin Telus to the car, pull his arms behind his back. Telus told me that deputy? It's Gonzalo Nzunza. The video comes up when you search Nzunza's name on YouTube. That's how I found Telus. Telus showed me a citation from that night with Nzunza's name on it and his employee number.
2: Technically, he was just trying to make me submit to him.
0: Now, are you gonna be okay? Now, you relax now.
2: And I didn't. I, I wasn't allowing that. it was a power thing. Exactly. Are you relaxed now? So I can let you go. Are you calm? What part of it? I'm not talking to you anymore? Don't you understand? I I, I understand English. what We're asking you. Is that right. Here, you, you, you listen you, that, to that me. Okay, so now? then.
4: So you're not gonna fight no more, right? You're gonna be good.
2: Like you, you hear what he tells me. You know, he tells me I'm in control. He tells me I'm in control and like I told him you're not in control. I don't care.
1: I'm
3: I, not I gonna can. get upset. I don't care. He's not I,
1: I,
2: don't, to get I upset. don't get upset, sir. I don't care. Okay. I really don't care if you do. Okay. Or I know you don't. don't. I know you don't. You
4: work for us. Let's talk I like man a man, man here. Let's talk about
0: you may not, not have caught that last part. Tell us said, You work for us. I don't work for you. To repeat from KPCC, I'm Annie Gilbertson. Why had Tellus confronted deputies this way? Was it about feeling profiled? Or was it about getting a rise out of them? Or both? When I asked Tellus about this, he said what he wanted was information. Information he needed to file a complaint with the Sheriff's Department. Information he needed to challenge the officer's conduct. And so this episode, The Light. What happens when you try to shine it on law enforcement? What do you see? Telus said things escalated. He claims Deputy Nzunza sprained his shoulder by pulling his arm behind his back. Telus said officers ended up taking him to the hospital. He showed me a hospital bill. I asked the sheriff's department about this. They did not answer questions about this incident. And Zunza ended up citing Telus for an illegal turn and resisting arrest. Telus said the resisting charge was BS. Telus was ultimately put back in jail. He faced a sentence of up to one year if convicted. There was no money for bail.
2: Well, once I was arrested because my family has to walk a whole mile back uh, to, to school from and back. So it's like two, four every day. When I spoke to my girlfriend, she told me my daughter already had blisters in her feet. Since I'm the only one that drives and the buses over here are not always on time, in order for me to be out for my family and support them as, as much as I could, like how I normally would, I took a deal.
0: According to court records, Telus got 60 days in jail. But LA's jails are full. Telus told me he served only a few days and was released
2: it's always the cop's word over the, you know, the citizen. So it's like, even if you have proof.
0: So you didn't feel like you could go up against the cop's word in court?
2: No, I couldn't. You know, so it's like, what are we to do? How are we supposed to beat this? You know, they keep filming. I keep filming when I can. Uh, Right now, since I'm on probation, I try to stay out of the out of their uh, way. So that way they don't 'Cause right now the ball is in their hands. If they feel like it they can they can say, you know what, I'ma put you in because you just refused to comply with me or another resisting arrest.
0: TELUS has cut back on filming law enforcement for now. And there was something the deputy said that night that now rang true for Telus. They were in charge. <laughs> I tried to learn everything I could about Deputy Nzunza for more than a year. It was not easy. I tried to catch Inzunza at home before and he didn't want to talk to me. I wanted to give it another go, so I knocked on his door again. Hello? I saw someone was home, but nobody answered. Hello? I'm looking to speak with Gonzalo Zunza. Okay, I'm gonna leave a letter here. Just has some questions in it. The letter had a list of questions for Deputy Inzunza, laying out what I had heard at that point. I left it at his door. I got a letter in return a couple days later. It was from a law firm that works with the deputy union. It said Nzunza declined to make any statements. They asked me to send any further inquiries through their office. I didn't get any answers that way either. Piece by piece, I had pulled together what I could about his history, the information and records not disclosed by the sheriff's department. As I've told you, DA records showed Deputy Nzunza shot at four people in seven months two of whom claimed it didn't happen the way officers said it did. One of them, Tanel Billups, claimed Inzunza planted a gun. Part of the reason I started this investigation was to find out what happened in those shootings, whether Tenelle Billups pointed a gun at Inzunza, as the deputy said. I wish I knew the answer. What I found instead is a system that keeps much of the unsavory aspects of police work, the use of force by individual officers— Details about police shootings, discipline, misconduct, hidden away. It's an issue I've talked about with a former military police officer I've interviewed before. His name is William Terrell. These days, he teaches about policing at Arizona State University. And Terrell said, the bottom line is, we've entrusted a lot of power to law enforcement agencies. It's often up to them to decide if officers cross the line. What use of force is reasonable? And what is and what is not acceptable, well, it depends on where you live. And
1: because agencies look at objectively reasonable differently. I mean, if I say use force that's objectively reasonable, what does that mean? It's up to agencies to flesh that out for their officers. And when I looked at policies nationally a few years ago, over 600 of them, they were all over the map. They were all over, there is no standard. There's, there's no model there's no best practice so to speak that agencies rely on
0: do you ever think about sort of just like how stunning that amount of power is right like you're writing the policies and you get to decide if anybody violated the policies
1: yeah it's...
0: and you get to inve- and you get to investigate it
1: right you, you have you have almost complete control and power for uh, administering the policy, you know, the, the, the determining and developing the policy, then administering it, and then the accountability aspect on the back end. It's all an internal process. There's very little external control when it comes to the course of power of the police. You know, 20, 30 years ago, when civilian oversight started to get a little bit of a foothold, there's tremendous pushback by law enforcement agencies, and the argument always boils down to a citizen or a civilian can never truly understand proper police behavior or not. First of all, you go, to go back to your current situation there in LA, I mean, that, they're, out, they're now outside the norm nationally, where they're still investigating their own police shootings and deaths. The model nationally, the norm is to have an external agency investigating uh, police shootings and deaths. And so for L.A. to still be doing it internally, you know, I'm not a fan of that.
0: We checked around to see what this looks like nationally. Again, there are so many agencies doing their own thing. It's difficult to say what the norm is. Though experts we talk to stress independent shooting investigations are the best practice. In L.A. County, the district attorney gets a look at sheriff shooting investigations. So does the new inspector general, who is independent. He does not report to the sheriff. He can also peer into an officer's history, complaints. It's the public that's often shut out.
1: So you won't even know how many complaints officers get and, and how many of those would be sustained? No. Yeah, that's should it's, it's to say. I don't know what makes California so different that they get to impose this type of, of model. I, 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 it's just, it's, I, I, I don't get it.
0: Records of police misconduct are often kept secret in California. Information that is released is often anonymous. The officer's name is kept out. It can take an order from a judge or acrobatic reporting to get it. Our colleagues at WNYC looked at these laws recently. And laws are different depending on where you live. They found more than 20 states have laws keeping officer disciplinary history confidential. In Mississippi and D.C., it's a secret. In Alabama and Florida, it is public.
1: I mean, it it, it sounds like you kind of have the the, the Florida sunshine law on one side of the equation and California on the other. And then, you know, most agencies with with some kind of in-between model. It's just, Yeah. yeah, I mean, how do you... I mean, it's a closed system, and so you can't you can't unpack it in any way than in California.
0: Some in law enforcement say there is good reason for concealing these records, that it protects an officer's privacy and prevents unfounded claims or minor infractions from taking a toll on an officer's reputation. Ron Hernandez, the president of the Union for L.A. County Deputies, told me Nobody in law enforcement wants to hide some guy that is a bad cop. We are not here to protect bad cops. We make sure deputies get a fair shake. Though information about officers is more heavily guarded than other professions. Professions in which misconduct can have serious, life-altering consequences. Take doctors, for example. Misconduct by doctors is posted online in California. Felonies, malpractice judgments, discipline on the job— It's public information. Some California lawmakers have tried to open up police misconduct records. They wrote a bill in 2016. They were faced with opposition. Law enforcement unions, associations, including those that represent the L.A. County Sheriff, the district attorney, and sheriff's deputies. Nearly 30 groups in all came out against it. The bill was killed. And the secrecy around police work That's how I'm going to end this story, a story that is a surprise to me turned into a story about what happens when you try to look behind this curtain. What are these laws protecting officers from? Unfounded accusations or something else? After all this work, in many ways, the department's take on Deputy Gonzalo Nzunza remains a mystery to me. I suspected the sheriff's department had not benched Deputy Nzunza right after his shootings. Unlike what other officers had told me happened to them, Mike Coburg, the former gang officer, and Anthony Furlano, the seven-time shooter you met. I had records of the arrests Nzunzat had been making, years after the shootings, a sign he was still on patrol. I thought I'd ask the sheriff's department about it, so I made an appointment downtown, at the Hall of Justice. I brought my editor along with me. We sat down and talked with Anthony Leberge. You met him last episode— He's new to the job, number two in command. The only one higher than him is the sheriff himself. LeBurge was joined by another high ranking officer, Chief Karen Manis. They're a contrasting pair. LeBurge, barrel chested with a big smile, Manis is a slight woman with a stern, serious demeanor. She's a chief of professional standards, like the sheriff's referee of policing. Manis didn't say much during the interview, but I could tell she was listening very closely you know we looked at um sh- sheriffs who've been involved in multiple shootings over the last five-year period we found one sheriff deputy uh deputy gonzalez he was involved in um three shooting incidents in seven months um just the concentration just kind of was an outlier in our data um uh i mean do you see that as unusual i don't no, think that's don't accurate see- okay i i don't think it's within seven months oh it's a it was it was i can tell you the dates actually mm-hmm. Um, he
5: yeah, had three shootings in seven um, months? But I don't think
4: October
0: it was seven. 27th, 2010, April 4th, 2011, and
5: May 24th, 2011. About seven months. I don't know. Mm. I don't know the individual or, or the incident, so they don't come to mind. Um, would that be a red flag to you? That just sort of it's
0: three and seven months? Inside? Neither would comment on Enzunza's shootings. The sheriff's department knew I had questions about it. And frankly, I'd grown tired of getting no comment on specific shootings. I wanted answers. This time, I was not going to stop asking questions. I laid it out for them. All I had heard at that point. The unarmed teen, the unarmed man in the stolen car, his friend Alejandro Trejo, who said he too was unarmed at the time of the shooting, and Tanel Billups, who said Deputy Inzunza planted a gun. Did sheriff's investigators consider the suspects might be telling the truth? That Deputy Nzunza might not be? I'm just wondering if there's just, um, uh, you know, if they're going to be probing on, on, on those types of issues or if, if- You know, if loyalty somehow
5: gets in the way. Oh, no. Well, and just so you know, when, like I said, when the homicide investigators get on scene for a deputy involved shooting, they're accompanied by the uh, Inspector General's office. They also have DA investigators that come through, and the DA investigators, I think, are present during interviews. Um, So if there was this thought that uh, homicide investigators, but have something reported to them and then just kind of bury it and not report on it or not investigate it. Um, there's layers in place there to ensure that all information is being presented and so that the DA's office will have a complete investigation that they can evaluate and determine this is this a thorough investigation. So um, I don't think, you know, we I know there's conspiracy theorists out there, people that don't trust the police, that will always say that uh, even when a gun's on scene, they must have been planted. We used to hear that all the time. We don't hear that as much now with videos and stuff everywhere else, but we used to hear that a lot. So even if a gun's there, it must have been planted because that person didn't have a gun. So you have uh,
0: confidence in sort of the layers of oversight that
5: are... Our- I believe so. There's more oversight now than we've ever had in law enforcement.
0: I noticed men in suits were standing outside LaBerge's door waiting. My time was limited. I wasn't going to let them off the hook. I wanted their take on how Billups' case was handled. In terms of um, evidence issues, right, so the deputy in this case, uh, it was a quick synopsis, um, a burglary suspect, he had um, exited the residence, several deputies were on scene. The deputy says he saw the suspect point a weapon at him. So he shoots, um, the weapon is tossed into the air and the deputy um, goes and collects it himself, puts it in his pocket, puts it in the trunk of his car, puts it, drives the vehicle away from the scene of the shooting. I mean, does that bring to you up any sort of evidence Handling issues or uh, chain of custody issues.
5: Based on the circumstances you provided, absolutely. Uh, Is that a sheriff's department uh, example? It was
0: a sheriff's department example. Yeah, the shooting of Tenelle Phillips, April 2011.
5: Um, Yeah, I don't, don't know that one.
0: LaBerge had this look on his face, like, what the hell?
5: Doesn't sound usual. Doesn't sound normal. Um, And I wouldn't even want to speculate as to if there was justifications, what those may have been. Uh, But, yeah, it doesn't sound right. But I would have to know more details before we are weighing in.
0: They promised to look into it.
5: It it, it, it does us no benefit to keep a bad cop or a dirty cop. Because that would be inferring that you have a dirty cop, uh, a bad cop out there planning evidence or lying. Um, unfortunately, we do discharge individuals for lying, not even related to something such as evidence issues. It could be just um, you know misrepresenting what they did or what they reported, and then you find out that uh, in the course of investigation, they weren't telling the truth, and we discharge uh, several individuals for that. So we don't hold on to anybody that's not truthful, um, and it would do us no benefit to keep anybody that Uh, was dirty or bad or not not truthful.
0: Again, it was up to the sheriff's department to decide if Nzunza's actions were appropriate. I'd have to wait for their review to be completed. In the meantime, I kept reporting. My own review. What I found after this break. Okay, so here's what I found about Deputy and Zunza. It's stuff I worked with my colleague Aaron Mendelson to piece together, from court and district attorney records. Because despite laws restricting access to information about deputy conduct, there's still places you can find snapshots of it. And court is one of them. But it's limited. You can get complaints from people with the tenacity to file a lawsuit. And it takes a lot of work and weeks and months to run it all down. I wanted everything I could find together so I could figure out what conduct was and was not acceptable in the eyes of the sheriff's department. The first incident I'll tell you about is important because of what happened and when. It is from May 2011, around the time of Deputy Enzunza's shootings. Two of the shooting investigations were already underway. During that time, Nzunza was accused of injuring a South L.A. man named Pablo Vieta. Vieta filed a lawsuit claiming excessive force and battery. Vieta told me the whole thing started on his way to work.
3: It was 6.30 in the morning, 6.30, and I was about two blocks away from work. Yeah.
0: So, you, so you normally started work early?
3: Yeah, yeah. What kind I took, of work were you doing? I was, uh, uh, I'm a carpenter with the local 1506. I'm a metal framer, drywaller. Yeah. So I was, uh, I've been there four months already, and, uh, you know, I took the same route at the same time. I hadn't showed up late, not once, or or missed the day.
0: Vieira's girlfriend at the time was in the passenger seat.
3: They saw the type of vehicle I was driving, and they saw me with short hair. And I don't know, uh, at the time, my, uh, my girlfriend, she was uh, Caucasian, so I don't know. You don't see any Caucasians here, so...
0: Vieta thought a Latino guy riding an 18-year-old Ford Thunderbird with a white woman was suspicious to deputies. According to court records, deputies ran Vieta's plate, found he had a warrant for his arrest, He'd been accused of driving with a suspended license before, using a cheat sheet at the DMV, and had failed to appear in court. Officers pulled him over. Vieira alleges Inzunza's partner, Sergeant Jose Rojas, told him to step out of the vehicle.
3: Okay, uh, he, he said, uh, step out the vehicle. And I said, excuse me, sir, I said, uh, what's the reason for pulling me over? And when I said that, he said, shut the fuck up, you stupid motherfucker. he just jumps in inside the car and started choking me in front of my girlfriend.
0: Vieta may be wrong about which officer grabbed him. I'm not quite sure. Inzunza's partner said in court records, it was not him, but Nzunza, who ordered Vieta out of the vehicle. I don't have a declaration from Inzunza, so I don't know what he would say happened. The partner said Vieta refused orders and grabbed the steering wheel with both hands. The partner told the court that Nzunza grabbed Vieta by the wrist in his sweatshirt and pulled him out of the car. Vieta said officers shouted, bitch, faggot, dumbass Mexican. Those are quotes from the court records. According to court records, Vieta claimed both officers wrestled him to the ground. The partner said he thought Vieta had a weapon. I don't see that they found one. Vieta said his arm was pulled behind him.
3: We just heard a pop, like a pop. And I was like, oh, was like, oh, and I couldn't move at all. Like I couldn't move my arm at all. So he he slowly starts putting it back like. Back down.
0: Officers cuffed Fieda and put him in the back of the patrol car. From there, Fieda said he kept his eyes on Deputy Nzunza.
3: And at this point, I guess uh, uh, Nzunza forgot about my girlfriend being on the sidewalk because she had stopped crying by then. And I'm watching him and he's looking around. And he goes over to my car, to the passenger side. And then I see him looking around and he's reaching in his pocket. It's like he's reaching in, in his pocket into, his, like, a small pocket somewhere. And he grabs something out of there. And he goes inside my car in the passenger seat.
0: In court records, Vieta claimed Nzunza had what looked like a small baggie of dope.
3: And he's, like, he's like almost on his, like on his knees, you know. Like, half of his body is in my car and his, his legs are outside my car. And I guess he forgot my girlfriend's sitting, like, right next to him, you know, because the door's open. So I don't know if I don't know what he forgot or what, but I, I look, I look, he I I put something in there, you know. And my girlfriend said she saw bag, she saw bag. So then he comes back to my car and he asked me, "What's what's what's that stuff on the ground in the passenger seat?" What? And I was like, "Really, sir?" Oh I said, "I just saw you go over there." I said, "You really gonna ask me that?"
0: Vieta claimed in court records that Inzunza attempted to dirty up the scene, but then picked the drugs back up. Vieta was not charged for possession. A sergeant was called out, and he pulled out a camera and recorded Vieta.
4: Okay, my name is Sergeant Dean, Century
2: Station, May 11, 2011, 0655 hours. I'm here at 85th and Alameda in the city of Los Angeles, and here in the backseat of the radio car, sir. Who am I speaking to? Your name?
0: Vieta's law firm gave me this recording. It shows Vieira handcuffed in the back of the patrol car. He was wearing a yellow T-shirt and khakis, smeared with paint and dust. Sir, so, because
4: I'm, just, I'm getting your statement on tape. To see what happened or not. And it's just something then I do to start to document the contact. Okay. Are you sick or injured in anyway as a result of the contact with the deputies?
2: I'm injured. You're injured. Okay, you need medical treatment?
0: What hurts? My arm. What happened? It was a short interview. Vieta told the sergeant an officer tackled him down, like he was some animal.
2: Okay. I just, I just okay. my arm back and it popped a like few times. So your left arm hurts? Yes,
0: sir.
2: Anything else?
3: Come on. No, okay, going off tape.
0: Vieta was taken to the hospital, where he alleges a fracture in his elbow was found. The department declined to answer questions about this incident. In the lawsuit records... The Sheriff's Department's lawyer said racial, ethnic profiling is prohibited and that deputies shall use force only when objectively reasonable. Again, I don't know if anything happened to the deputies, if they were disciplined or what. Say it with me. Those records are secret. I do know what happened to Vieta. He was charged, driving with a suspended license and another charge, resisting arrest. He was taken to jail. In court records, Vieta said he missed work. Because of it, he lost his construction job. When I talked to him, he was collecting recycling for money. The charges had another consequence. They prevented Vieta's lawsuit from moving forward. California law prohibits those accused of a crime from bringing lawsuits against officers involved without resolving the criminal charges first. The lawsuit was dismissed. Vieta's lawyer fought the criminal charges at trial. A jury found Vieta guilty of driving with a suspended license and resisting. I found another incident in Nzunza's past. It was about 10 years ago. The Sheriff's Department's Internal Criminal Investigations Bureau investigated Nzunza's conduct and presented the work to the district attorney for potential prosecution. According to district attorney records, a man named Andre Sanders brought a complaint against Deputy Inzunza, Grand theft and false imprisonment. I tried to find Sanders, reached out to many men named Andre Sanders in L.A., but I couldn't pinpoint the right one. All I have to go on is the D.A. report. It says Sanders was on his way home from work on a Tuesday night. He was a cook at Universal Studios. He got off the bus to transfer in the area of Florence Firestone. The neighborhood and Zunza patrolled. Sanders told authorities he was walking when two Latino officers pulled behind him, And told him to, quote, get the fuck on the hood. According to the report, the deputies were later identified as Deputy Nzunza and his partner that day, Antonio Garcia. Garcia declined to comment for this story. Sanders said the deputies got out of their car with their guns drawn and Nzunza's partner searched him. Sanders told investigators Nzunza's partner said they were investigating the shooting of two homies. A warning Here's where Sanders claimed deputies used racial slurs. These are offensive words. It makes me uncomfortable to say them. I'm going to read them because I do not want to sanitize these claims. The partner allegedly said, quote, We are going to find out what you niggers are up to. Sanders replied he was black and not a nigger. These are quotes from the DA report. Sanders claimed he returned the insult calling the partner deputy the same word, which made the deputy laugh. The partner allegedly called Sanders a monkey and a cotton picker. Sanders said he was scared, scared of the racial slurs and the guns pointed at him. Sanders said the partner deputy took his belongings, his wallet, his iPod, and that the partner deputy cuffed him and put him in the back of the patrol car. Then Sanders alleged the intimidation continues with this bizarre ride. Other people in South L.A. and civil rights advocates have told me about rides in patrol cars. You hear about deputies picking people up and dropping them off in rival gang territory. It's illegal to detain someone without justification. Sanders told investigators Deputy Nzunza drove past two young men walking. Sanders claimed Nzunza yelled out the window, quote, Hey, we have a nigger in the backseat. Y'all want to fuck him up? Sanders said the deputies detained the two young men at gunpoint. The men were 16 and 18 and said the partner approached them with his gun out of his holster at his side and wanted to know if they had a gun or were involved in the shooting. These two guys are important because they later become witnesses in the investigation into Sanders' claims. Eventually, the situation must have cooled off. According to the DA, Inzunza removed the cuffs and deputies drove away. Sanders said they did not give his stuff back. He was stranded in the dark of South L.A. without his wallet, cell phone, or bus pass. Sanders complained, and internal investigators took up the case. According to the D.A. record, Nzunza told an investigator he stopped Sanders to question him about the shooting, but determined he was not a suspect. Deputy Nzunza told him that he did not keep Sanders' stuff. Nzunza told an investigator Sanders asked for a ride and he agreed to give him one. Investigators found deputies did not document their contact with Sanders, as deputies are required to do. Investigators interviewed the two witnesses. The witnesses said they did not hear deputies use foul language or ask them to fight Sanders. And they said it was Sanders who was upset. They quoted him as saying, Fuck ya, all fools. How do you know why you are resting? Y'all just doing this shit. This part's important. According to the DA record, the witnesses verified Sanders was cuffed in the back of the vehicle. The prosecutor wrote, The fact that Sanders was handcuffed in the patrol car arguably shows Sanders was in the car against his will. To me, that seems to contradict Inzunza's statement that Sanders had asked for a ride. The DA did not prosecute, which could have cost Inzunza his job if he were convicted. The prosecutor wrote that there was strong evidence that the deputies removed Sanders' property to further the shooting investigation, not to commit theft. Sanders had demanded the deputies call a sergeant out or take him to the station, according to the report. It may be reasonably inferred, the prosecutor wrote, that Sanders initially agreed to be transported by deputies to see a supervisor and changed his mind, that keeping his hands cuffed could have been justified by his rowdy behavior. The report is signed by Deputy District Attorney Jason Lustig. It says Sanders was not credible. It listed Sanders' history of arrests, 10 of them, crimes like burglary and a hit-and-run. In the report, the prosecutor pointed out Sanders, according to another witness, wanted the two young men to allege that deputies assaulted Sanders, that Sanders offered a potential financial gain if the males assisted him in his lawsuit against the county implying that Sanders may have been fabricating the events to bolster his claim. And then there's this incident I'm going to tell you about. It was August 11, 2013, a couple years after the string of shootings. Deputy Gonzalo Nzunza was arrested. It was in one of the suburbs, Downey, according to city records. Records show this time Nzunza was suspected of a felony, 273.5. That's domestic violence resulting in an injury to the victim. He was taken in and booked. I asked the city of Downey to give me anything they could. Give me photographs of the injuries or recordings of the 911 call. I asked them, please release the police report. They refused. So I don't know what all happened that led to his arrest. I can tell you the district attorney knew about this one, too. The D.A. has records of it. In them, I see Deputy Nzunza was accused of another offense, property damage. That in addition to domestic violence. Next to it, a note about a cell phone. Maybe that was the damaged property. Once again, the DA decided not to file charges. Charges that could have pulled Deputy Nzunza from the job, according to the sheriff's department. Instead, the district attorney diverted the damaged property offense to a hearing program, Basically, a conflict resolution program with a mediator. That means no public court record and no conviction. As for the domestic violence felony, the deputy district attorney wrote one sentence. I'll read straight from the DA report. Quote, The evidence presented tends to indicate that the bruising on the victim was caused by accident, as the suspect tried to calm an angry spouse who, according to the victim, was irritated because she had just started her menstrual cycle. Victim is non-desirous. I take this to mean his wife did not want to help prosecutors press charges. We checked with an attorney about this. A non-cooperative victim does make prosecution harder, but it doesn't automatically mean charges get dropped. It's not up to the victim. It's up to the DA. So I asked the DA's office about the decision not to prosecute, The office canceled my interview an hour before we were going to meet and then declined to answer questions specific to these decisions but said in a written statement, if a peace officer's conduct rises to the level of a provable crime, this office will file criminal charges. In the cases they've chosen not to file, a spokesperson said the documents stand on their own, which I take to mean they are standing by their evaluation of this case, including the consideration of the victim being irritable because of her menstrual cycle. Deputy Nzunza's employer, the sheriff's department, knew about this, or should have known. A sheriff's spokeswoman said Anytime time an officer is arrested for a felony, the department is notified, and if criminal charges are not filed, the department can exercise its own options, take administrative action. I checked sheriff's department records. Deputy Nzunza was still making arrests. It appears the sheriff's department allowed Deputy Nzunza to remain in the field after this. He remained an officer. They kept him on the job. After Andre Sanders and the allegations of racial slurs, after the shootings, the unarmed teen Lineric Naborn and Alejandro Treo and Julio Haro and Tanel Billups, after the drivers, Pablo Vieta and Alberto Teles. I don't know if the sheriff's department put these cases together and saw in Zunza differently. We don't get to know that. We don't get to know if the Sheriff's Department saw a problem, if they did anything at all. And it's not just in Zunza, not just LA County Sheriff's Deputies. It's true for the more than 80,000 sworn officers in the state of California. Their conduct is often kept from the public, kept out of the light. I do know what happened to the men who claimed Enzunza hurt them. They were arrested, they were charged, they were incarcerated. Two of them for resisting. An officer's word against theirs. That was the pattern. That was the pattern that was repeating.
1: This call and your telephone number will be
0: monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Tanel Billups told me he's changed in prison, grown as much as anyone can in such a chaotic and confined space. Are you there? Okay, cool. What's up? How's it going with you? I'm fine. I'm trying to stay out
6: of trouble. I'm kind of into some trouble yesterday. Trying to make it to canteen. We both, uh, luckily I've been taking these anger management classes and, uh, uh, alternative to violence programs because, you know, we, we, two guys, we both frustrated, it's hot, trying to get in the store the last minute, so I almost went to blows with them, but I had to say, hold on, man, you know, this could be resolved in a different manner. We ain't got to go, we're going to end up messing ourselves up, you know, so, both two men we could come to a resolution and, uh, and we realized we both was frustrated so that's what the anger was stemming from it wasn't just that we was
0: yeah you guys were just fighters. trying to get you were at the at like the commissary
6: yeah just trying to make it cause I was the last date for yesterday and until another week so
0: it seems like they've been tough over there Huh. It seems like things have been tough over there.
6: Yeah, uh, well, it's always tough. It's prison, you know.
0: The first time Billups called me was on Christmas Eve in 2015. He was rushed. He tried to fit his story in the prison's 15-minute call limit. He didn't know if he'd get another chance. Later, he told me he wanted to talk to a reporter because he thought it might help his case. For what it's worth, he says he's still willing to take a lie detector test. He since learned. He could get out early, not because of any news story. It was the millions of people that voted to ease California's sentencing laws. The laws changed through ballot measure. Now, thousands of inmates could get out early. A specific portion of the law affects billups. He could get more credits for time served, shrinking his 27-year sentence. Though, his release is likely still far off.
6: I look, I look forward to my freedom. That was another reason why I took the deal, because I didn't want to see you sitting here with a life sentence and not knowing when I'm going to get out of here.
0: I mean, has that totally changed your outlook on, on life? Like,
6: yeah I, yeah, I would be grateful for that. You know, I'll I get out and I'll pursue schooling or something to try uh be able to obtain uh, a good job so I can take care of myself as well as my kids.
0: Billups' kids were tiny when he was locked up seven years ago. The youngest was in diapers. The kid's grandmother, Jackie Venters, took them to visit during the holidays last year. But truth be told, it's hard for them to make it the 150 miles up to the Central Coast prison. Billups rarely sees them. These new laws, they are part of the changing landscape and the criminal justice system happening right now in this country. People deciding what once seemed appropriate is no longer acceptable, and throwing the power of the electorate behind new standards, a tipping of the scales. These same people, the voters of California, could decide law enforcement agencies investigating their own shootings is unacceptable. That secretive police laws are not in the public's interest. That they want to shine the light. Towards the end of my reporting, one of the last interviews I did was with the sheriff himself, Jim McDonnell. He's out of the largest sheriff's department in the country. Last episode, you heard our discussion on ship magnets. Yeah. OK, um, I'm, I'm sure you um, heard I looking specifically at the shootings of um, Deputy Gonzalez and Zunzac Century Station. He shot up four people in seven months. Um,
4: yeah, I'm not going to talk about
0: individual cases here. Okay, I mean, the question I had was um, the people that were shot specifically, they told they told me, um, two of them said that it didn't happen the way officers said it did. Mm. One said that a, a gun was planted at the scene of the shooting to justify the shooting. My question for you is, is was that claim investigated?
4: It certainly, if that allegation was made, it was investigated uh, and investigated exhaustively. I don't have information on that particular case or which one you're tying that allegation to. But if you have information that we need to look into, we will look into it further. Uh, whenever any allegation is made, uh, we take it, we run with it, run it to ground and uh, you know, take it wherever the truth takes us.
0: Yeah. I, I can't—having seen a lot of the case file of the, of the Gonzalo and Zunza shooting of Tanel Billups, I can't see that that claim was actually investigated at all, much at all. Well, well, the, 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 it's clear that it's in the homicide record that the suspect told investigators that he did not have a gun, but I don't see that it was followed up from the records I have.
4: Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure what records you have. We can take another look at it and see what was done uh, in furtherance of that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Again, the promise to look into it. McDonald was telling me I could trust the system. But the records aren't open to the public.
4: No, they're not open to the public uh, no more than, you know, in many other professions that records would be open to the public, whether you're looking at education or healthcare or so, so many other professions. We are as transparent as the law allows us to be, I would argue, tran- more transparent than than many other professions.
0: I would disagree with uh, as transparent as the law allows, because I know that the, lo- the law would allow for you to um, release investigative files into police shootings Um when I read the law, it seems like it's the choice on the department. So that's why sometimes we get booking photos, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get nine one one tape, sometimes mm-hmm. we don't. It's really up to the department's discretion. That's... And and each time I've asked for records on a shooting, I haven't. They have not been made available to yeah. you by the sheriff's department. Why? Why not make those records public?
4: Well, we look at each case, and you know we're guided by the peace officer bill of rights uh, eight uh, eight thirty eight thirty point eight thirty two point seven. Uh, Guides that, but we make an assessment, trying to balance the you know the needs of the organization, the needs of the of the deputy, as well as the need of the public to know, and we share what we can uh, reasonably, and I think we've done a pretty good job of it lately.
0: Mm. Why not share more? Why not share the whole case file?
4: Well, there are a lot of things in a case file that are that are methods and tactics and the way we do business that uh, helps protect the deputies in the field. And so there are things like that that we wouldn't want to readily uh, share with the public because the deputies are trained a certain way and do certain things when they get in the field. And to give those things up would potentially put some at harm.
0: You know, the sheriff's department is charged with creating policy use of force policy right Mm -hmm. investigating incidents where use of force is used and really adjudicating as to whether or not any conduct crossed the line um do you think that's too concentrated of power in one office
4: i don't i think it works exceptionally well to be honest um
0: Except, well, except for the, the Baca scandal recently, right?
4: No, and that was a scandal that was uncovered and uh, and handled, you know, to the to the fullest degree, and people were held accountable for that. So I guess you could argue that the system worked. Um, you know, there's always going to be criticism of what we do. We're we're the we're a highly visible arm of government, and uh, what we do is critically important to the safety of everybody who lives in our society. So we are held to a high standard. We should be held to a high standard, and we take what we do. We take it very seriously.
0: McDonald stressed to me that independent entities do review the investigations, including, as you've already heard, the Office of Inspector General, created around the time he took office. It's the people of L.A. County that do not get to see the work—the very people the sheriff and his nearly 10,000 deputies work for. Is there anything else you think I should know?
4: There's a lot of things I think you should know. Yeah. Uh, but but I that would oh. I would offer it, I would offer you. Um, to spend some time with us and to see, you know, off off camera, off mic, uh, the way this system works and how much work uh, and dedication goes into doing it right. Um, it's easy to take a look at this from 30,000 feet and make judgments, but so many of the things we do are extremely nuanced. And when you get down to that granular level, I think you come away with uh, uh, a different perspective, one of just the complexity of what we deal with, uh, and the nature of what we deal with is such that uh, often not easy to understand. People people make judgments on what we do, I think. And, and often that's an unfair assessment of a deputy, of an individual who's dedicated their whole life to doing good uh, and are maligned because somebody just took that quick snapshot and it didn't show the whole story.
0: Mm. Are you saying I can go to an executive use of force review committee meeting?
4: I don't think you can do that probably, but we can we can show you how the system works. I think Anthony went over uh, quite I mean, a bit I'm, with you. I
0: I feel like I'm pretty clear <laughs> as to the process. You know the work product is really Yeah. what, what it's not publicly available. Right, it's not. Which brings me to the last question I'm trying to answer. I told you that after the meeting with the under sheriff, Anthony LaBerge, they said they would take another look at Inzunza's shootings. What did they see? Did the accumulation of his conduct tell a story? I don't know their findings. I don't know if they took action. Chief Karen Manis told me they were limited in what they can disclose specifically as it relates to Deputy Inzunza. So I don't know if this time they took action. What I can see is that his arrests are way down. He went from arresting more than 90 people a year early in his career to just two in 2017. It's a sign he may no longer be on patrol. For a while, I wasn't sure Deputy Nzunza was at the department at all. His name is no longer listed on county payroll. It made me wonder if he had been placed on unpaid leave or if he quit or if his name had been scrubbed off for another reason. I don't know. So we went around the county, checked with the state, and learned yes, as of February 2018, Inzunza still works at the Sheriff's Department. LA County will not tell me what exactly Deputy Inzunza is doing. At one point, we straight up asked, does Deputy Inzunza work for you? Yes or no? The county's lawyers responded in a formally worded letter. They said they could not say one way or the other. It said the public's interest would be better served by not telling us. This, too, had become a secret. I want to take a moment and thank the people that made repeat possible. Thank you, Katie Briggs, for your beautiful design work and your championship of public media and investigative reporting. You believed in this project from day one. Vijay Singh for keeping track of everything. Jay Arella for building the website. A thank you to Alex Shafford and Kristen Muller for your support. And Melissa Liu and Brianna Lee for social media and engagement. Meredith Kakimoto for your video work. Valentino Rivera and Sean Campbell for engineering and helping us sound so good. A thank you to James Kim for your fabulous production work, and to Andrew Epen, our composer. A thank you to our fact checker Trisha Tonko, to Misha Youssef for production help, and Riley Began for additional reporting. Aaron Mendelson, thank you for your excellent reporting—reporting reporting that made this podcast possible—and thank you to Arwin Champion Nix, our senior producer, who challenged us to think bigger about what was possible. And a special thank you to my editor, Evelyn Larubia. You saw the story, the potential, and coached us every step of the way. Last and most importantly, thank you. You are a listener. Thank you so much. You can follow me and my future projects on Twitter. I'm at Annie Gilbertson. A reminder that listeners like you make this work possible. Please donate to KPCC. We've got a donation form over at kpcc.org slash repeat.